live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. In the situation, think about who the Padres are and the swagger that they have. If it's Tatis who hits that home run, oh. I mean, they they probably oh. would have stopped the game. This is the press box. Brought out a full mariachi yes. and had like a party on the field. Yes. Ed Rainey and Adam Candy. For the that. bat toss would still be in the air. The, uh, absolutely. It would still be in the air. Uh, like Manny Machado would have gone out to the mound, pulled his pants yes. down, taken a dump on the mound, and said, you pitch through this for the rest of the day. On ESPN Las Vegas. We sure start this show with a lot of dump talk. Porta potties, pitching mounds. It's Ed Graney, Adam Candy, and Jared. Tyler Bischoff on his way to Houston to watch his Houston Astros lose the World Series to the Atlanta Braves. Good morning, Adam. How are you? I'm fantastic. Yeah. I am actually just largely heartened by the idea that Tyler is going oh. to go see this loss in person. Yes. How much are we looking forward to that? This is going to be wonderful. Just thinking of him sitting there. Does he drink, Jared? Is he drowning himself in alcohol or is he just having a few hot dogs and soda and just going to sit there and never stand up because they're going to lose the World Series? The one time I drank with him, he fainted. So <laughs> uh, I don't know if he still drinks or not. Okay. All right. Well, We'll be checking in with Tyler tomorrow. He's back with Adam tomorrow as I head to New York for Raiders and surprise story that that will have in the review journal in the weeks coming. Uh, but first, Adam, let's get to it. Another goal tonight has been injured. The first bite. Can Jared start at second line center for the well, Golden Knights? How's your skating, my friend? Bad. Okay. Uh, Adam, here we go. William Carlson, latest to be sidelined, broken foot, six weeks, friendly fire, and a shot from say, Theodore against the Ducks. Does it, I mean, does it ever end? When you saw this yesterday, did you just kind of shrug and say, well, here we go, who's hurt next? Almost. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know how you look at it. Uh, I don't know how you look at it any other way right now, other than to say that this team really had been pretty fortunate over the years not to have cluster injuries, right? right. Uh, if you go back... Even if you go back to year one and you look at the health and say, yeah, they lost Eric Halla for a long period of time, and that was really the worst that they went through other than uh, you know Marc-Andre Fleury's concussion issues at the beginning of the year. And even from that point on, you look and say, sure, last year, Petrangelo uh, you know, with the broken wrist for a while and on and on, but nothing like this, nothing like looking at the third and fourth lines and absolutely needing to go to, you know, hockey DB and try to figure out who are these guys. Yeah, it's it's absolutely unbelievable. They start in Toronto, their Canadian trip tonight, and they're going to go through Canada, and we're going to see what happens, but they just can't afford anything else. Right now, Stone, Pacioretty, Patrick, White Cloud, uh, Yanmark missed the past two games, expected to be on the road trip. Tuck is out as well on long-term IR. Uh, g- give me your thoughts now in terms of if, if Adam Candy's Pete DeBoer, and we're going to talk about the lines a little later, but but how do you approach this with this team? I mean, there's injuries in sports. I get that. Everyone goes down. But it's just one after the other, and now you're going into a Canadian trip that's not going to be easy. What's your message to them? I mean, I, I know people go through it and teams go through it, but this is getting a little this is getting a little crazy here with these guys going down. Next man up. Yeah? Next man up. Oh, you told me to be Pete DeBoer, so I figured you know just kind of you know, <laughs> go with uh, the standard coach answer and let it roll from there. Um, look, if you're if you're in Pete DeBoer's shoes, uh, you have to look at this and ask your top guys who are still there 
to just carry as much of the load as is possible. And frankly, it ends up looking like a lot of other teams in the NHL that don't go as deep as the Golden Knights in the forward group. You lean on your top line, such as it is with uh, with Stevenson and Krebs uh, and Carrier right. and say, all right, well, that, that line actually does look like it has a little bit of juice to it. Um, try to do the best that you can to uh, to fill in on that second line. And so I, I, if you're Pete DeBoer, what else can you do other than ask your team to tread water right now? He already got, even uh, you know before the Carlson injury, he already got a couple of wins that, frankly, I was surprised that this team was able to pull out. Right? If you look at the games against Colorado and against Dallas, yeah. uh, then you say, wow, uh, that's impressive. And obviously they held the fort against Anaheim as well. So if you take it in totality and say, all right, well, hopefully Stone is skating again. And so if right. you hope at the end of this trip that maybe you get Mark Stone back, then you say to yourself, all right, so what happens on this trip? If you go two and two, if you go one and three, then in totality, you split a lot of the games when you were really down everybody. And you hope that maybe you can just tread water in a division where Edmonton looks like the only competition. Might have been adrenaline. Uh, like I said, he took the uh, Carlson takes the Shea Theodore thought seven this shot, 730 remaining in third period, that 5-4 shootout victory against the Ducks. Takes three more shifts in regulation on the ice for 226 in overtime. Tough guy. Uh, but this brings up yet another uh, time to talk about Jack Eichel. Uh, and I, I haven't gotten your thoughts yet on the Jack Eichel trade. I really want to know, you know what you think about Jack Eichel, uh, the potential to trade for him. Uh, Tyler and I were talking about it in depth yesterday. So, you know, what you have to give up if you want Jack Eichel, if you want to have him go through his surgery and not come back for two or three months when he gets off LTIR, if everything goes well with that surgery. It's not like an ACL, and this is a... Uh, something to deal with his neck, and, and, and it's a serious surgery. NHL players never had it. But now that Carlson's out, given what you're going to have to give up for Jack Eichel in terms of getting ahead of yourselves on the cap and giving, you know, whether it's Theodore and Riley Smith, whoever it is to get in ahead of yourself for when all these guys come off long-term IR, tell me first what you think about the Jack Eichel trade, about the potential of them getting Jack Eichel before we talk about do all these injuries now put that on the back burner. I think you can boil the Jack Eichel situation down to a couple of things. The first one is if you are someone who misses Nick Suzuki, then you don't want to trade for Jack Eichel, right? Because Nick Suzuki went to Montreal and became a young star, signed a huge contract, and one of the first draft picks in Golden Knights history is going to be a really good player, more than likely, for Montreal for years to come. On the other side of that, you have Max Pacioretty. And Max Pacioretty has become a reliable scorer for this team. And so if you're a Golden Knights fan, you've never known the lean years. You've right. never known having right. to wait for a prospect. Why would you start now, right? And if you're the Golden Knights, I don't have any trouble if you want to make this Jack Eichel trade still because he's 25 years old. And so even if you miss part of the year with Jack Eichel for this surgery, you're still getting the kind of player who is a game changer at his best and most importantly to this team would become one of the younger core players that they have in terms of their forwards. So I like it very much in terms of that. The other way I think you look at this is to say, what do you think of this season? What do you think of this year? Because you obviously are going to have to take some sort of short-term hit if you have to trade off the current roster to get Jack Eichel. If it can't just be prospects and picks, it seems like Buffalo wants some NHL-ready talent. Yes. So if you have to do that, then you really have to say to yourself, do you believe that what you've done for the past three games can hold up longer than that? Do you believe that the depth that you currently have is enough? And 
I think it's enough in this division for a while. I don't mind making the Jack Eichel trade if it weakens the current roster for two or three months. And you say, okay, all we have to do is tread water and get into the playoffs. And that's not going to be all that difficult in this Pacific division. Edmonton wins again last night, 14 points. Calgary's actually playing better than I think people thought, 13. San Jose, 10. I think they'll come back. I'm with you. The Golden Knights now at eight points. It's so early. Um, and we said yesterday, unless Edmonton or Calgary would completely run away with it, and I don't think that's going to happen, that the Knights are going to make the playoffs. They might not be in the first spot. But then if everyone's back healthy, you're fine, and you move forward, and you probably get out of there. Um, tell me, you know, Eichel, you, you kind of went over what they might want. Is there any price in your mind from what all the – the reports you've heard about what Buffalo's holding out for, I guess, you know, if you believe the reports, uh, they have said, the Knights have said Krebs is off the table. Again, that's one of the things where you kind of believe it when you see it, because if it's if that's the, the last, you know, piece that Buffalo wants and they stand firm and you can get Jack Eichel, I'm not so sure they don't get rid of or move Krebs. Is there a price too high in your mind for Jack Eichel, given his injury situation? I think he signed, for, correct me if I'm wrong, four years after this, his hits $10 million. It's a lot of money, but like you said, he's elite, elite guy. But is there too much to put on the table for this guy? No, I really don't think there is, because if you look at the cap situation moving forward, then you probably are going to end up subtracting Riley Smith at the end of this yes, year, which yes. will make up for a lot of the Jack Eichel money. Um, that, of course, I'm saying if you trade for Jack Eichel, that it's more of a certainty that, that Riley Smith has to go. Um, and obviously, they would have to do some, uh, some cap gymnastics this year to make it work. Uh, is there a price too high? I wouldn't want to trade Peyton Krebs. I mean, we've had enough of a look at Peyton Krebs to say that the kid looks like he has a bright future, but you also know who Jack Eichel is. And there's been no concern expressed by anyone that if Jack Eichel gets the surgery that he wants to get, which of course is you know not one that has been common among NHL players, but there's been no concern that says he won't be able to play again or he will be significantly hampered in the long run. So it's in the DNA of this team. It's in the DNA of Bill Foley to go for it. It's in the DNA of the Golden Knights to be competitive. And I don't know that if you pass on a Jack Eichel trade because you thought the cost was too high, that that fits with what we've seen from this franchise. The other thing that you have to factor in, Ed, and I don't think it can be uh, understated, a lot of empty seats in that building. And you need a reason for the fans to want to stick through this whole thing. A Jack Eichel trade, even if he's not here immediately, is going to signal to your fans like, hey, we see it too. We understand that we're having some struggle here. And even if we don't think it's, you know, I personally don't think it's legit that the fans haven't come out for uh, for the first few games. You know, I think they probably should, still should be coming to see this team. But at the same time, you, you do have to continue to give them a product. Let's go to that because you go to these games and I've I've been into enough games so far where it's very apparent. Then the other night they announced over 18,000. They're getting into the announced crowd mode because there wasn't 18,000 there. We've talked about this. Is this still, can you believe this is still a byproduct of flurry? I mean, look, they haven't been good to start. They lost four straight, but they've kind of rallied. Like you said, They're, everyone's hurt. You can't really blame them for that. Guys get hurt in pro sports. You go to these games. Can it still be that? I mean, and, and, and like you said, they haven't gone through the thin times. We all knew it would happen. I still don't know if it's going to happen this year. Cause I still think if they get everyone back, they're really good and can make a run at the cup. As you've gone into, have you watched this? What's gone through your mind? Is that you know, is it is it the ticket prices? Or is it have they priced people out? Um, why do you think we're seeing that many empty seats on a nightly basis this early in a season? It's not like this is halfway through the season and they're again, you know, out of a playoff spot. 
I thought the piece that uh, the Review Journal had covered a couple of the reasons really well. The first reason is the COVID situation. And look, the Golden Knights chose a fairly lax protocol. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, they aren't requiring vaccine or proof of vaccine. It's masks uh, for everybody inside. And I'm going to tell you, whether you're watching on TV or whether you're looking in person, they have not done a good job of enforcing the mask oh, policy. They, dear God, have they not? No. I mean, you just look in the crowd and you can see people not just taking a drink with their mask down or, you know, no mask on the ears at all. And that's not to drag the T-Mobile Arena staff because it shouldn't be on them. It shouldn't be on the ushers to have to go fight with people who don't want to wear a mask. If you have a policy, it makes it a lot easier. So I do think that is a legitimate part of it. But the, the flurry thing is real. I don't know that it's the whole thing. But, I mean, gosh, you guys had a letter to the editor in the RJ saying, you know, people just don't care as much right. without Flurry here. And if people, if someone cares enough to write a letter to the newspaper saying this, then they are not alone in the way that they're feeling. So I think it's a combination of things. Uh, maybe there is just a little bit of fatigue, uh, you know, from fans at the way last season ended, right? It was the first time we had heard fans really boo the Golden Knights during the Montreal series. Maybe we had a little bit of a canary in the coal mine at that point. I think it's fascinating. I do. I, I, I think it's fascinating that Flurry continues to be that beloved by this fan base. And playing badly. Yeah, he finally won a game last night. Well, oh, and it's not all his fault. I mean, let's I mean they're they're not good in front of him at all, but they but he got the win. All right, uh good stuff there in VGK. When we come back, we're gonna stay with hockey. Is Gary Bettman, Bettman the biggest idiot in the world? We'll tell you after this. I suppose people can differ on that point, but he had already coached eight hundred and sixty-seven games since two thousand and ten. And I wanted to make sure that no one, including Coach Quenville, could say that I had prejudged him. Again, people can disagree on this, but I was focused on the long term, not that one game. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Back on the press box, Zach Graney, Adam Candy, Jared running the show as usual. Tyler Bishop on his way to Houston to see the Houston Astros. His beloved team lose the World Series to the Atlanta Braves. All right, uh, Adam, let's start. Well, there's so much to unpack here. We don't have much time in this segment, but Gary Bettman, that's the commissioner of the NHL coming back. Uh, the, uh, he essentially went on a press conference call yesterday and defended the NHL's decision and discipline meted out following the investigation of the Blackhawks' handling of the sexual assault allegations in 2010 when video coach Brad Aldridge sexually assaulted prospect Kyle Beach 11 years ago. The allegations surfaced. Let's start with Bettman yesterday. Um, in terms of defending the decision and the discipline meted out uh, in terms of this handling, we'll talk about Quinnaville in a second, but... When you heard Bettman, is this just typical Bettman? Do we wait around for something sensible from this man's mouth, and he always disappoints? He always disappoints. I mean, always. it's been the history of Gary Bettman. I mean, he's locked out the players three separate times <laughs> yes. in his tenure of as commissioner of the <laughs> NHL. And what you got yesterday was not a human being. It was just no. an attorney. It was just an attorney speaking, saying, well, I didn't want to prejudge Joel Quenville. There's no need to prejudge anything. There's a report out there that details everything that happened inside the Chicago organization. Right. And that that report was done independently. That is not some slanted thing from a lawyer. That was an independent investigation commissioned by the Blackhawks that shows what happened. And so what are you trying to do? Avoid a lawsuit by Joel Quenville? I don't really understand where Gary Bettman is coming from in the first place because I'm trying to look at this through the lens of another human being who has empathy for Kyle Beach. And when I think about it that way, 
then it's unconscionable that Gary Bettman would not take the simple symbolic move of having Joel Quenville not coach that game and make it happen. Uh, Bettman called the organizations a $2 million fine they uh, levied against them significant and, as he said, stood by decisions to let Quinville coach one more game for the Panthers and not discipline Winnipeg Jets. General Manager Kevin Cheveldoff, based on his limited role in the Blackhawks front office at the time, uh, as we know, Quinville resigned as Panthers coach after meeting with Bettman last week. Uh, I'm not a fan of his. I'm not sure if, uh, if any of us are. But I will say this for Mr. Alan Walsh, Mark andre Fleury's agent, although Jared made the best point yesterday, we need another sword meme in this entire mess. Uh, I, and I'd like Bettman's name actually to be on the blade uh, of through uh, Kyle Beach uh, and, and what he did yesterday. Alan Walsh's tweets yesterday. I want you to read. I, w- I want to read you Alan Walsh's tweets because I thought they were very good and put things in perspective. In all my years involved in the sports business, I have never seen a more disastrous press conference by a league commissioner. A reminder: Gary Bettman fined New Jersey three million and the loss of two draft picks for a cap circumvention. He fined the Blackhawks two million. That's Gary's message. Circumventing the cap is more egregious than covering up alleged sexual assault. So, good for Alan Walsh. Like I said, we know about the meme and we know about Flurry and some of the things he said in the past when it regards the Golden Knights. But I thought that put it in perspective. Three million for cap circumvention, two million for alleged sexual assault. Does that not put Gary Bettman and, and his entire office kind of in perspective of how they've handled this thing and how they've messed this thing entirely up? Yeah, and look, we haven't even mentioned probably the scariest Gary Bettman incident of his time as commissioner, and that is their complete mishandling of CTE and the studies mm-hmm. around it and you know the long-term repercussions of head injuries in hockey. Uh, when Gary Bettman is challenged, he has shown consistently that he will revert into lawyer mode as quickly as is possible. Maybe that's all that's there. Maybe I'm expecting that... There should be something else, but there isn't. And I'm a look, I'm a New Jersey Devils fan. I know exactly what he's talking about. When Ilya Kovalchuk uh, was signed and the three million dollar fine came around. And so what you've entered here is Roger Goodell territory. You've entered the territory where you say, oh, so Ray Rice gets two games for domestic violence, but Tom Brady gets four games for deflating footballs. And once you've crossed that Rubicon, there really isn't a lot of coming back in terms of credibility, assuming that Gary Bettman had any left. Uh, among NHL fans, among the populace in general. So you go to the, right now and you say to yourself, all right, if Alan Walsh is going to be the voice of reason here, the guy who threw out the sword beam, then obviously something is far, far off in the balance of what should be happening, Ed. Gary Bettman on if anyone disputes the accusations made by Kyle Beach, I think not everyone's recollections are identical. What in the world is this guy talking about? It, it, I mean, why do you think, let me ask you this, and we just said, I, I don't even know if this guy's human, and he certainly, like, you've made a lot of examples there that we're wondering uh, if this guy's just a robot and he's going to go to the end, as embarrassing it is. But to say not everyone's recollections are identical, climb in my, the mind of Gary Bettman, if you can, I know it'll be scary, of why you go to the wall so much in 2021 and watching Kyle Beach's interview and seeing what he said happened to him 11 years ago, that you would continue to fight this and go to the wall and not just say, throw up your hands and say, we all screwed up. Uh, the, the, the fine was not enough. The discipline was not enough. We've got to do better in the future. Why, even for Bettman, does he go to the wall like this? Lawsuits, lawsuits, mm-hmm. lawsuits, lawsuits. That's it. Uh, Gary Bettman thinks of everything in terms of what it's going to open up the league to in terms of li- legal liability. Uh, it's like he never got out of 
the lawyer mode that he started with when he was, you know, before he was the commissioner, when he was a, a, a fighter against the legalized sports gambling and was helping to write the law that kept that away for 25 years. It's the same thing. He, the man can't get outside of that shell. It would have been so easy to walk in there yesterday, ask that question right. about the recollections and to give a boilerplate answer talking about we know that this has been a challenge for for everyone involved you know and you know we want to we express our greatest sympathies for everything that uh you know that kyle beach has gone through that's it and, and when you say not everyone's recollections are the same you are re-victimizing him again when you leave that hanging out there you're saying to the guy who was sexually assaulted that well you know maybe it was what you say even if that's not what you meant to say, that's still what you say. Uh, Jonathan Marshall of the Golden Knights on whether he still has faith in the NHLPA leadership. I don't know. Uh, the fact all of them knew, I think that's the worst part. Definitely things are going to be probably addressed. I'm going to be there and listen to what everyone has to say. We also heard Ben Goetz uh, asked Robin Leonard after the Anaheim game the other day. He had spoken to Kyle Beach. Uh, Robin was very, very emotional in his answer. Uh, also mentioned the NHLPA. How much does this damage this relationship, Adam? Uh, you know, Marsha Saw said we all have to listen to what everyone has to say, but the fact all of them knew, I don't know if they can. I don't know if they can come off this either in terms of uh, the, the people who are supposed to represent these players. And that's really where the human side of this comes in. The real tragedy of it all is that you know you, you've obviously wrecked one person's life through this entire situation, who had the courage to come out and talk about it still. And now, look, there was already plenty of animosity to be had between the Players Association and the league. Like we said, Gary Bettman has locked them out three times during his tenure as commissioner. But now you look at the Players Association itself, and now the, the way this was all handled makes the, the puts the discord within the, uh, within the Players Association. And that's the real tragedy of all this because it's all of these cascading effects that come down from people hoping that they could sweep something under the rug and something that probably has been swept under the rug in a lot of other places at a lot of other times in a lot of other sports organizations over the last 20 or 30 years. We'll keep an eye on it. Gary Bettman once again disappointing everyone as the commissioner of that league. Uh, press box transition later in the show. We will have Vegas Golden Knights tickets to give away in the 9 o'clock hour. You're going to want to wait around for that. Next up, David Roth from The Defector. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. We're happy to talk to him. He just seems happy to talk to anyone. David Roth from The Defector is with us on the press box. Subscribe to The Distraction on Stitcher and use the promo code DISTRACT for a free month of Stitcher Premium. Here he is, David Roth, Defector. How are you, David? I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, we're good. I'm going to start off with a very simple and yet complicated question. I know you're going to have a great answer for it. Is Gary Bettman the biggest idiot in the world? I feel like he is probably the worst commissioner working right now, which is sort of a longer, nicer way of saying, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, how... Again, he comes out and defends the decision, uh, meted out uh, the discipline, $2 million uh, against the Blackhawks for their handling of the sexual assault allegations in 2010. I asked Adam this before he came on. 
I just it, it's it's and Adam made a great point about lawsuits, but it is just fascinating to me when he says I don't think everyone's recollections are identical. He goes on and on about why he let Quinville coach uh, one more game that he just goes to the wall. Can you think of any other commissioner or time where someone would go to the wall like this and absolutely not come back at all and say, you know what, we all screwed up here. Kyle Beach, what happened to him was atrocious, and yet he just won't do it. Adam says it's legal. It makes sense. Would there be any other reason for this to happen? I mean, no. It's absolutely, like, curious, like, especially for this reason in this case. Like, this is one of the easy ones, you know? Like, as terrible as it is, like, it's terrible in a way that everybody cannot instantly identify as terrible and understand what's disgusting about it. There's no action he could have taken that I think anybody would have been like, well, that's a little bit too heavy-handed because, like, as a general rule, people uh, – get upset about sex abuse for obvious reasons. Right, exactly. So this is one of those ones where, like, it's a layup. Like, this is not the sort of thing where you need to be, like, parsing it fine in a statement. I just think that, like, this is what happens with, I mean, really anybody that's left in power for a long enough period of time, but certainly anybody that's left in power of, like, a major sports league. Right. That, like, it, beyond the fact that, like, he knows he's untouchable, because, like, I don't think anybody would tell you that he's been doing a bang-up job for, like, like a decade more than that. Like, I don't think he's ever really had a base, but he's still there. So I think at this point he figures he's leaving the job seat first. That makes the rest of this to me, like more offensive because if you have that kind of authority, then you basically can sort of do whatever it is you want to do. And this is it. This is like, he will very grudgingly do the absolute minimum and then instantly complain about not getting credit for it. And, uh, yeah, that feels too much like every other thing in our culture, man. You gotta, you're bumming everybody out. Like either leave or get better. And with the NHL, it's so much different than the NFL with Goodell, because the NFL with Goodell, nothing gets in the way of that tank rolling down Main Street America, right? right? Yeah. But when it comes to the NHL, like you said. It's not like he's been doing a great job. It's not like this sport has any great mainstream exposure. It's not like that they have many, many profitable clubs at the level of the NHL. You would at the NFL, you would think at some point that the ownership would look at Gary Bettman and be like, dude, no. Right. That's the part of it that is kind of like that reads more as like an insult to me. I mean, as someone who cares less about the NHL than the NFL, it's like Goodell. It can be sort of hard to tell how he's actually doing a good job because he's still he's still still Roger Goodell. And every time I see him, I'm like, oh right, you know. Like it's different with Batman. I think that like hockey fans will tell you that he's done a bad job growing the game. Mm-hmm. That they're like that the decisions that he's made have actively hurt the league. And like and you can point to examples of it. Whereas like I think with the NFL, it's like yeah, they, they stay growing, they stay making money even though the guy in charge is like a Gary Larson character, like if Gary Larson drew like guys that went to private school in <laughs> far side cartoons, that's what Roger Goodell would look like. And yet like he's still, you know, like that's the part of it that kind of makes it feel strangest to me on the outside is that like, it's not just that there's no accountability for powerful people, because like, I think everybody's pretty well used to that, you know, like no one likes it, but everybody understands it. But what if those people, the powerful people, are also doing a bad job? Like, what if the thing that they're supposed to be held accountable for by their owners, which is not, you know, being ethical or, you know, being a functioning human or all the other places that they failed in the Kyle Beach case, like, what if the thing that they keep screwing up is that they're not making enough money, which is the one thing that's important for these owners? They're not helping grow the league. 
And somehow if that doesn't matter, then I don't know what happens. Like, I don't know where you go from there. Well, and that that's the best point. And again, like like Adam said, in terms of the mainstream interest of hockey, uh, ESPN has picked it up. People seem to like that. They're watching games. But is Goodell, Goodell survive because of the money they make? And and I and that's why I can keep questioning Bettman's continued presence as the commissioner of that league. Yeah, so it, it makes you wonder what it's going to take. I mean, because it shouldn't be. I mean, it's not like another commissioner. I think would necessarily. There's only so many ways to grow a league. You know, and I think with hockey, it might just be that, you know, that hockey's fan base is the size that it is. You know, right. there's not some sort of, but there's still, a, like, a way to do it that, I mean, like, I don't, I, this is the part with Batman that I keep coming back to. There's no vision there. There's no real sense to me that this guy is, like, just getting started. You know, like, a, a bad executive can get away for an awfully long time, especially given that the people that they're making their presentations to, for the most part, are not the general public, but are rich guys who inherited stuff and therefore not the most, um, you know, challenging audience. But if you look at what like a Jerry DePoto has been able to do with the Mariners, mm-hmm. we're just basically presenting a new five-year plan every three years. Like he effectively made himself unfireable because he's like, don't worry about it. Like this is like step two of seven. And the owners are like, oh, that's interesting. That sounds like a lot of steps. Cool. Like if you can come up with seven steps, you must be doing something right. I don't get the sense that Bettman has even presented like a vision for the future of that. He's just like, I'm the commissioner of the NHL, like, and the owners are like, oh, okay, cool, thank you for that. Like, obviously, that that sounds hard. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love the Jerry Depoto plan because what you do is you make so many trades that it's impossible for anyone to know if any of them are good. Right? You're, you're right. always having to go on to evaluating the next trade. There's always a new shiny object uh, out there, and that's that's a good transition actually as we talk about uh, fairly idiot commissioners and rob manfred uh, has the houston astros still fighting press in box this world transition series. there you go <laughs> Damn, stuck it perfect timing jared right on right on it um and uh as we uh, as we look forward to tonight with uh with tyler bischoff down in houston for uh, game six can you help us feel better here? Because what we want is to know for sure that Tyler is going to enjoy the misery of watching his team lose in person with the home crowd. I have to say that as somebody that um, roots for a team that I've seen, I didn't even make it to game six, last World Series they were in, uh, traveling a long distance on an airplane to with the chance of possibly getting your heart broken along with like 30,000 other people that grew up near you. I wouldn't do that. That's too big a risk. For me. <laughs> like I was talking to Jared about this on the phone, that like if there was a game seven, maybe I would do it. You'd probably have to pay more. Game six is one of those ones where you just get the experience. Like you're just tempting fate. Like that's just like going into a, like a lion's den to see if it will be petted. And I think that that's not uh, a choice that I would emotionally feel comfortable making. That said, that last game, coming back from that deficit, like I know that this is something that Ray Ratto always uh, underlines and I think is correct. Momentum exists within games but not between games. I have to remind myself that. That said, uh, coming back the way the Astros did in the last game, like I don't think this is necessarily over. Uh, but, yeah, man, I wouldn't have gotten on that plan. Oh, <laughs> like, not at all. I've got He's a brave I, man. I'm so glad you brought this up. I've got to ask you this. Tyler and I get beat up for this all the time. Is there? We say no. Uh, and I'm glad I'm disagreeing with Ratto uh, because he's brilliant, and I hate telling him that, but I'd love to disagree with him, just give him a hard time. Oh, is, there, is there anything such, is there such a thing as momentum? We say no, there's not. I mean, I think that 
in a game, undeniably there is. Even in baseball, I think you can just sort of feel it. And I don't think that that's entirely something that you're, you know, there's like the fan part of your brain that sort of just fills in a storyline as you're watching it. I don't think it's just that. I think you can definitely tell. And then in sports like basketball and football, like, my God, of course there is. The difference, I think, in a series, though, especially where you build these sort of breaks in between, like, the fan part of my brain is tempted to say, yes, there is such a thing, you know, that you spend 36 hours stewing about this and thinking about it, and then when you get out there, you're either you're tight or you're extra fired up or whatever. And that's, you know, that's how I would do it. But, like, I haven't played in a meaningful sports game since I was in high school. Like, I'm a neurotic. So, of course, I would spend 36 hours doing it. And I do that about tweets. You know, the idea of, like, and so I think that part of what makes this work for, like, pro athletes is that, like, they are able to sort of, like, stop that skid and start fresh in this. You know, to the extent, so to the extent that there's momentum that's real, I think it has to do with, like, you know, roster attrition or, like, a guy sort of starting to figure it out uh, at the plate. And maybe that's where, if you're an Astros fan, you can talk yourself into the fact that, like, Correa hit the ball hard at least in Game 5, you know, that there's, like, things that you really hadn't seen to that extent in the series before. But, yeah, it doesn't feel quite right. You know, you change cities, you take this break in between games. Like, I, I mean, it just seems like a lot of that would dissipate. But I don't know. That's obviously uh, Tyler's voting with his feet, so you got to respect that. He does not believe it exists. He's going down there to watch his guys win or not. All right, let's uh, get to one other thing I wanted to ask you about. You're probably very happy. I don't know if you're happy about this, but the Mets have parted with Zach Scott two months after he rest, or was arrested on a DUI charge. Is this momentum? <laughs> Is this by Mets standards? <laughs> yeah, like firing firing a guy who fell asleep at a traffic light after yes. leaving a party at his boss's house. Yeah, I would say that that's probably that's the best move that they've made in me. I mean, is this? The, I was just going to say, what else have they done lately that gets you this excited? I mean, uh, get turned down for interview requests by every like, by 12 different candidates. It's all very Mets that all of that was public. I think that this is one of those things where they were obviously aiming very high. They've also, like, just because the job search is literally being run by Steve Cohen and Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, like, those are the two guys on the Zoom calls. I can see why if you're Billy Bean and you're getting on there to lay out your vision and, like, Chris Christie is just going through his Springsteen bootlegs while you're talking. I wouldn't take that job either. Like, why would you like willingly choose to make that guy anything like your boss? But I mean, they'll wind up with somebody. It seems like there are people I know that you know have followed this more closely. The guys that they're talking to now are like assistant GM types. It's sort of like the class of candidate that like Jared Porter was when they hired him, or that Zach Scott was when they hired him. That there's like there's a lot of these guys like smart dudes in the quarter zip fleeces that went to business school that have jobs in baseball front offices. It's just very Mets that the two guys that they managed to hire both had such significant personal issues that you couldn't keep them for longer than a year. But I mean, knowing the Mets, like they absolutely could have kept them for more than a year. So in this case, it's probably for the best that if this just sends the message to these new candidates that they will actually be able to hire their own guys, and that they won't just get stuck with, like, like Chris Christie's son also works in the player development Oh, good department. lord. No, no. <laughs> well, just to be clear about that. Also, Sandy Alderson's son. Um, oh, but God. this is, like, it's a weird family business still. Like, it is the same floundering Quiznos franchise that it was <laughs> when the Wilpons ran it. It's just, like, you wouldn't take that job unless you uh, could go in there and negate. And I think 
you know, maybe this is a step in that direction. So, yeah, big win. Huge win for the guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, I just had a quick question of, have you ever been playing pickup basketball and chucked the ball into the stands? Oh, yeah. Like Kevin Durant what? was just like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot I was playing a professional game. I mean, I have never been, like, that full of vinegar that I was willing to like. I've yeah, I've spiked a ball, but yeah, that was in like. Well, I mean, I respect it. It definitely lets you know that regular season games do matter to these guys, which is like contra of whatever like my dad's been saying for years. There's definitely like if you're angry enough to whip a ball into the seats, like congratulations, you care about uh, November basketball. <laughs> Well, he is David Ross from Defector, Defector.com. Get there now. Brilliant stuff all through the website. Uh, David, we appreciate it, man. Take care. Lost man in the end, but, uh, yeah. yeah, great stuff as usual. How about the stuff on the Mets? Happy that guy's how, gone. How do you see Chris Christie at they go? Do you got a son? We'd like how him to develop that? some talent. Him and Sandy Alderson's son. What a disastrous franchise. Like just how many like how many mediocre politicians can we find? Oh. Good lord. All right, when we come back, Candy's gonna tell you, are the Raiders the best team in the AFC? Back after this. Wanna be part of the show? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. Mahomes takes the snap, he drops straight back, has time, feels some pressure. Now rolls to his right, waiting for somebody to uncover. Throws it into the end zone, deflected, and nearly intercepted. Did the Giants come away with it in the end zone? Yes, they did. Off the deflection. Ah, the escape for the survivor pick last night. I was nervous. Jared, you've dropped out, but we would have lost like 11 people from that thing. That would have been horrible. Still in it. Still in the Survivor League. Why haven't you commented? Look at you. You're not going to comment. Ed Graney, Adam Candy, Jared Justice running the show. Tyler on his way to Houston, as we've set off, and hopefully to see his team lose. Adam, is there any argument that can be made, especially once again after seeing KC struggle last night against the Giants, survive them 20-17, to 17, any argument in your mind that the local Las Vegas Raiders might be the best team in the AFC? In the AFC West, maybe. There you uh, in the AFC, not so much. Um, but in the AFC West, it, it, it's undeniable that the Kansas City Chiefs are currently broken. It does not mean they can't be fixed. But it does mean that this Kansas City team is not functioning anywhere near full strength for whatever reason. Uh, look, I am a New York Giants fan. I watched that game last night, and I had to grudgingly accept at some point that my team might win. Um, <laughs> I was not really looking for a victory, but I thought to myself, well, I mean, I guess if they're going to hand it to us, there's not much I can do to hope for a higher draft pick. Like, um, And thankfully, Joe Judge was there for me um, and was able to mismanage the game so horribly and then blame it on the headsets that uh, Kansas City was able to get a victory. But right now, as the teams are playing, look at the division. We talked yep. about Kansas City. Denver is a mess. Uh, Denver should be selling even more than Von Miller, quite honestly. And they're indicating that they don't intend to play this year. And something's not right with the Chargers at the moment either. Uh, so right now, you look at where the Raiders are sitting, and their schedule is going to get really difficult yes. over the second yes. half of the season, right? Like, let's not Time's forget tough. the fact that this Raiders team is going to take on the fifth most challenging schedule uh, the rest of the season. 
That being said, they have the edge in the division right now. There's no reason that they can't. There's no reason they can't go out and continue to play at the level that they've played. Um, I don't know. Ed, do do uh, you think Kansas City figures something out this year? I don't think so. I Figuring out and what they finish with the record, I think, can be two different things. But th- they are just doing things, starting with Mahomes. And I'll throw it back at you. Is is it more Mahomes or is it more people have caught up with Mahomes with some of these mistakes he's making? I think the more the onus has to become on him more so. Kelsey fumbles last night. Like you said, they're just broken in ways. Defensively, they're not good, but they're just broken in ways we haven't seen in recent years. And I'm torn between people have seen them enough on film, they've watched him enough to maybe figure him out a little, or he's just he's just lost a little and he's doing things that he's never done before. Well, if they've figured someone out, I think it's that they've figured out Andy Reid. Uh, I'm not sure it's figuring out Mahomes because Mahomes, given the proper tools, has shown that he has abilities nobody on this planet has. Mm-hmm. But right now, uh, how is Andy Reid not able to scheme more threes op- scheme more throws open? Uh, that's the question that I have because Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey were non-factors in that game last night against the New York Giants defense that has been shredded by Taylor Heine. Yeah. So, you know, I I think the onus has to go as much on the play calling as on the players. I couldn't believe last night, at least down the seam. I mean, what's happened to Kelsey? Kelsey, Tyreek, everyone. No, I mean, look, look, you had balls dropped last night by a team. You had the end zone interception. You had the Travis Kelsey fumble. And yet still, the Giants are so bad that Kansas City gets to stay alive for another week, but barely. When we come back... Top of the hour, a lot of football talk. Jameis Winston, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. We get to it all. Uh, we'll also talk about what the Seattle Kraken players are now throwing into the stands on the three stars. We love it. Back after this with the front page.